This is a Bulldog Radio podcast. holidays everybody welcome back to the most valuable sports podcast my name is brandon worth and for only the second time in this show's history i am going solo today my best buddy my co-host joe Nagy, is with his family right now at christmas and we want to wish you guys the listeners a very happy holidays merry christmas and even a happy new year to you all as it is a special time of year as we approach the end of what has been a very chaotic 2020 and into a clean-slated year of 2021. But big sports that have been happening this week, as well as to come later on in this holiday season. So we want to get let you know about it. The first one, our Bulldog faithful, our hockey team, was on the ice on Wednesday, I should say last Wednesday, um, against Northern Michigan up in Marquette. And unfortunately, the Wildcats just held off our attack at the end and ended up taking this game 5-4. to four. Unfortunate loss for the Bulldog hockey team. But the thing that I love about it is we did not give up because the beginning of this game, the first period was all Northern Michigan. They were absolutely dominating the ice, ended up scoring three unanswered in the first period, and basically just took complete advantage, it seemed like, and ended up scoring another goal early in the second period, giving them a 4 nothing lead. But did our Bulldogs give up? No, we did not. We fought back. Drew Cooper and Justin Michaelin ended up making a two-goal cut to that lead, and then Northern ended up getting a power play at the end of the second period. But then in the third period, our offense really started taking off as we had 17 shots on net, including two of them getting past Northern's goalkeeper, Connor Reichman, but we end up falling short by one as the Wildcats hold us off for the final 15 minutes of the third. But it was a pretty good matchup uh, looking at how we fought back. We did some good things, and Bob Daniels has obviously been very happy with this team's success, especially with the circumstances that have been placed on before the season is has even been taking place. And just how that everybody is able to get back on the ice is such a really good feeling. And the fact is, is these games do matter, but right now you're not going to play perfect in these first three games, especially with how training and everything's been adjusted throughout this year with the coronavirus. So we, we understand what's going on. And the good thing about it, our Bulldogs did not give up. And we went two for six on the power play, which was better than Northern Michigan's one for four. So that's a really good thing to look at. And we ended up actually out shooting Northern, despite how efficient they were offensively in the first two periods we ended up putting 30 shots up to their 28 so we're getting opportunities it's just we're not getting them past some of these keepers and I mean these goaltenders are just they've just been really good for um, the opposing teams we've only been um, allowed eight goals so far and I it's not necessarily a I don't think it's a thing where our shooting is bad it's just there's this this WCHA has some great hockey teams and with great hockey teams Defense wins championships, and those are the defenders and the the goaltenders, and they've done a great job on our high-powered young offense. But we also have – we have had a little bit of struggles um, behind the net so far. Ronnie Salmon-Kangas, not his best performance, obviously. Um, 
he's he just kind of struggled a little bit, especially early on. He ended up having 23 saves, but unfortunately did allow the five goals that ended up to our to our loss. But we do have Logan Stein as well that is currently not with the team as he's with the USA Juniors. So there's still a lot of opportunity to, to fix things up. It's early in the season, and we're still getting opportunities. The fact that we were down 4 nothing in this game was something that really made me concerned early on, but then that we clawed our way back and made the comeback, and really at the beginning of the third period, looked like we were going to have a shot to even take the lead with the momentum we were on. Unfortunately, Wildcats made adjustments that just, just dismantled us for the last 15 minutes and ended up holding off for the win. But it's a really good sign to see that even though the circumstances were bad, we still fought back, we still held on, and we gritted our teeth, like Bulldogs, and we fought our way back, just came up a little bit short, and sometimes that happens, and the team's going to move on. I know the staff has done a great job with this group, and they're going to they're gonna be ready to go on the revenge game that's going to actually happen next Wednesday right now on the 30th where they will face off against Northern at Wink. So that's going to be a great matchup to see how the tables will turn at Ferris instead of up north in the UP. So that's going to be fun to see. Um, basketball and other sports um, are going to give it a go, what it sounds like right now by um, the NCAA and where is a conference schedule already put out for um, volleyball as well, volleyball, women's basketball, men's basketball. That can all be viewed on the Ferris State Bulldogs website. You can check that out for yourself. But moving on now to the higher end of the college sports, college football season is now in the postseason. And if some of you haven't heard already, the playoff rankings, the final. Four have been decided for the college football playoff, and that includes the number one Alabama Crimson Tide, the number two Clemson Tigers after their big ACC championship win over Notre Dame, and in dominating fashion if that, which caused Notre Dame to fall to number four, and Ohio State taking the number three spot after their Big Ten championship win over Northwestern. So the real big concern with how these played out is a lot of people are wondering why is AM not in the college football playoff? And the thing that really I think a lot of people are really looking at, and it should be looked at, is Notre Dame is just not as consistent in big games. We've seen that in years past. I mean, I don't I don't want to be mean to any Notre Dame fans right now. But the fact is, the playoff has not been pretty to the Fighting Irish. We know what happened in that 35-3 to massacre game. I'm not going to talk about that very much because I know they're very upset about bringing that up. But the fact is, is they've had this opportunity before. They've played very good football throughout the regular season at a bump of the road. And when it came playoff time, it was just in trouble. And they they really, really took a beating in that semifinal game. But I know Brian Kelly's got his team in the mix ready to go. They're going to be ready for revenge. They want to make a move towards the national championship game in Hard Rock Stadium in Miami, Florida. But the fact is, Texas A&M had a fantastic season. They ended up finishing one outside the playoff at number five. And it's it was just unfortunate to see Texas A&M not in the college football playoff because they've been a fantastic team they've been great they've really been great almost all year and the fact is is they only had one loss and who is that loss to 
the number two team in the country who considerably should have been the number one team in the country at a time with a Jalen Waddle added Alabama team. And that Alabama team was something very, very special. And we saw what they did. But they even got ranked wins over Florida. Um, I mean, yeah, they and even Auburn late in the season. And right now, this A&M team deserves a lot of credit. They played their hearts out all year long, beat a Florida team, beat a Mississippi State team on the road, which can be hard to do because Mississippi State has pulled off upsets in the past and they even beating Tennessee later at the year, who was a ranked team at the beginning of the season, and then the defending national champion LSU team. It's been a great season for Jimbo Fisher and the Aggies, but unfortunately, this is the reason why I think we just need to have an expanded playoff. I don't really know what else needs to be said about this playoff expansion. Just the fact is, some of these teams deserve to be in the playoff. They deserve to have a shot to complete compete for the national championship because they've played good football. It's just sad to see that Texas A&M's not getting this opportunity because there's only four teams allowed that spot because I think A&M is just as good of a team as all of the, all four of these teams ahead of them. And really that's the hard part to grasp is kind of after that, it takes a little bit of a dip after A&M and there's some, there's some questions I have as far as who came in after Texas A&M, which we'll address in a minute, but, an eight-team playoff to me makes sense, and I know that's my personal opinion. And you, you guys, the viewers and the listeners, you guys have your right to have your own opinion. That I completely understand. That here's my thing about the eight-team and the four-team playoff: there is not much intrigue to these games. And now you're probably wondering, wait, what do you mean? You're there. We're watching the best four teams in college football gut it out for a national championship. What's better than that? Well, I can't tell you what's better than that. Eight teams of the best in college football battling it out. It's going to create, it could can create more intrigue. It can create actually more economic opportunities for some of these bowl games to get boosted. And I know that some of the big business people will be happy about that. And the fact is to really the number one reason I think they should, because there are more than four teams that are capable of winning a national championship in college football. I truly believe that there are teams and here's the thing about the rest of the seeding that came on that I'm still kind of really trying to grasp how I feel about it because there are some things I do not agree with. As the college football playoff rankings put, Oklahoma at the sixth spot, followed by Florida, Cincinnati, excuse me, Georgia, and Iowa State wrapping out the top ten. Now, Iowa State completely understand why they dropped four spots. They lost in a tough game to Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship. Didn't play well in the first half. They're 8-3 and three with their record. I can understand that. But the other side, Oklahoma, at number 6, this to me, I don't understand. And I understand the reasoning behind it. I don't understand why, the, why this move happened. And I, I want to know what the playoff committee had to say about Oklahoma. And I heard Kirk Herbstreit say on the college football playoff show, I understand that they've been playing good this second half of the year. I understand that. I completely get it. They're starting to find their stride. Beginning of the year, they looked pretty bad. And if you want to know some of the, the thoughts Mr. Joe Nagy had on on um, Mr. Rattler, you have to check out that episode wherever you found this in Spotify or Apple Podcasts. But the fact is, is Spencer Rattler did not play well. Oklahoma's defense played awful. And the fact is, they didn't play good football. They weren't coached very well. At the beginning of the season, they got outplayed the first couple weeks of the season. 
And they did bring it around. You're right. They had a good rest of the year. But to me, how is it that you can have Cincinnati above them on the rankings this whole year? I shouldn't say this whole year, but pretty much from week four, week five, week six on when they started pretty much dominating their games earlier in the season in the American Conference because they they played some tough teams. And even though it doesn't look like it really on paper, here's the thing. They beat a number 22 Army team who is this is in the Army team. Army is a tough team because the fact is they have a much different game plan philosophy to the game of football that can often give coaches some headaches. And especially when they, they've been inverting that big running attack with the option, that's a tough thing to adjust to, especially when you're playing some of like these other more typical style spread offenses, pro style, single back, all these other pretty simplified offenses. When you go to a get fence team like Army, there's a lot to adjust to. So that's not an easy win. And the fact is Army is a good football team every time you play them, regardless of what the rank, because those guys don't give up worth nothing. And they also beat an SMU team, which was rated 16th in the country at SMU. They beat them at Dallas. So the fact is they've had their chair their They've had their fair share of good wins. And then you throw in the fact that they won the American Conference Championship over a ranked 23rd Tulsa team in what you could call not great football weather. It was not a pretty sight to go watch a game in the stands at that game because it was not pretty wet, windy. It was gross. And the fact is, Cincinnati still found a way to take home the conference title. And they were ranked... Pretty much anywhere from later in later in the season, they were basically falling in between the 11 to maybe seven. They've been kind of jumping back and forth. But the thing is, Oklahoma, before this college football rankings came out, were ranked number 11. I'm sorry, number 10. They were ranked number 10. Cincinnati was ahead of them coming into this week, and Cincinnati beat Tulsa in basically a rainstorm, won their conference championship, but in the end, Oklahoma flip-flops them. Not just, not just, not just flip-flops them spots. Cincinnati moves up, and Oklahoma goes up four spots. That, to me, does not make any sense because why would they would consider Oklahoma? Because if you are looking at this game, Oklahoma could have lost that game. They should have lost that game in some of the points. They should not have let Iowa State come back in the second half. They were too good of a team in the first half to let that happen. Their defense slipped sometimes. We've seen that plenty of times. If they want to beat teams, they got to score 50 points, which they did sometimes this season. I'll give them that. But in reality, to me, Cincinnati is not getting the credit they deserve. And to me, this playoff committee is showing that really small schools don't have a chance in this format. And it sucks to say that because there have been some great miracles in college sports that need that that bring light to these small schools, that give them hope. Because, I mean, before UMBC, they're really in basketball, in March Madness, everybody was marking down the one seed no matter what. But after one magical game, Virginia falling to UMBC, that changed everything. The the impossible was now possible. The improbable was now possible. 
The fact is, it made college basketball just much more that much more fun. And the fact is, I think they can do that for football. I think they can give. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that they can give, like they must give a spot to a small school. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that they should do. Um, they should now make the seeding conference championships get um free bids into the college football playoff expanded bracket. I've heard some people talking about that. All power fives should have an automatic conference champion bid into the college football playoff. I, I'm not saying I'm there yet. And they also had the idea of what um the best non-conference or non-power five conference champion also gets an automatic bid, which in this case would be the Cincinnati Bearcats. But the fact is to me that if you're a, a small school team and you've gotten yourself all the way up to the 18th and the eighth team in the country in the rankings, that should deserve you to get a shot because that's a tough thing to do, especially when for the majority of the season, you're not going to have the competition level that the committee sees like the SEC and the Pac-12 and the Big Ten and the ACC. Those are all huge, huge conferences. And it's hard to compete with them. The fact they got up there, they should be congratulated. They had a fantastic year. And I'm excited to look for them again playing against Georgia early on in their bowl game. And the fact is Georgia too. Georgia, to me, this is what almost gets me even more like what what in the world was the committee thinking? And I've kind of read through some of the things that the committee has said on their Q&A and kind of what 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 was going through their mindset on how they make these decisions. And it's it's a very a very interesting system. But to me, Georgia is kind of like Oklahoma. They're almost exactly like Oklahoma. Their resume is very similar, but their resume is actually better. Georgia's resume is actually better. Now, I know Oklahoma fans are saying, wait, that's not true. They lost two big games. They lost to Alabama, the number one team in college football. And then they lost to Florida when they didn't have a healthy quarterback. They were they had Stetson Bennett there on seen like one leg. And then they had to throw in Dewan Mathis, who was in his first game. And it's hard to play in your first game at Georgia when you're facing one of the top 10 teams in the nation. That's a hard thing to do for on any level. So to me, that one should not be as considered because this team, that Bulldog team with JT Daniels is a different team. So to me, I just wondered to the committee, then why did Georgia not jump as high as Oklahoma did? If the fact how they played so much better down the stretch put Oklahoma so much higher because Georgia did the same thing and they didn't move just as high. And Cincinnati's played just as well that whole season, and they haven't moved anything. So I think the cl- the playoff committee, um, obviously they're doing their job, and I understand that. I think that this is a very hard, subjective job, that it's really a tough si- situation that they're in because they are having to try to make what's best for everybody, and that's not going to be the case every year. There's always going to be teams that are going to be, quote-unquote, snubbed by the media. There's always going to be people that said, this team should have been in or Cincinnati should have got a shot, or A&M should be in there over Notre Dame, or Ohio State shouldn't have made it in because of six games, which in that case, I did look this up, and the selection committee did clearly say that they are not going to, they were in this season, they were not going to make a minimum game requirement, and they were not going to allow the amount of games that the team plays really kind of persuade them in another direction. They saw Ohio State as one of the top five teams or the top four teams in the country 
in their six games. And that's the reason they made that decision, which I understand that. So I know that Clemson and um, Notre Dame feel that they, that they had, should have had the upper hand because they played more games and they got through COVID better. That understanding, I understand that. But in the reality, Ohio State is a good football team and they've had success in the playoff. I would much rather trust Ohio State in this environment in the college football playoff than Notre Dame. So that's what I got to say about that. But it's going to be an exciting bowl week of college football for sure. Um, our Michigan Wolverines are not going to be playing in a bowl game for the first time in a long time. And no, I don't want to talk about it, so we're not going to talk about it. But the murder, there's already been three bowl games that have already happened. Um, last night, BYU took care of business against the University of Central Florida. I'm sorry, I had I had to say it. BYU beat UCF 49-23 in the Baca Rotan Bowl presented by RoofClaim.com. And then... Appalachian State already won in the Myrtle Beach Bowl after um, um, their their run at the Sun Belt ended up coming up a couple couple spots short, but they still end up on a good note. And then the Idaho Potato Bowl, Nevada beats Tulane 38-27. So there's already some bowl games happening. And as I record this today here on the 23rd at 1 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, we also have more games today, the 23rd and tomorrow. And wait for it. We have Christmas Day college football, the Camellia Bowl, Marshall against Buffalo on Christmas Day on two at two thirty p.m. on ESPN. That's going to be awesome to see some college football. So if you're sick of the NBA, need some football, you not only have the NFL, but you got college football to help fill your void. So that's going to be pretty sweet. Um, some other notable bowl games going to be happening. Liberty against Coastal Carolina. I think the bowl the bowl committee got it right. These two teams need to play each other. We want to know what's going to happen when Liberty was undefeated and on their streak, they were going to play Coastal. And obviously the whole COVID situation hit. They couldn't end up playing, which has led to the BYU Coastal showdown. So, hey, two smaller teams that have had great seasons, those have produced great games. So this is going to be a good game. December 26th, the Cure Bowl, noon on ESPN from Orlando, Florida. Going to be a good one there. Um, Ohio, Oklahoma State, I almost said Ohio State. Oklahoma State versus Miami will play in the Cheez-It Bowl on December 29th, followed by Texas versus Colorado in the Valero Alamo Bowl. There, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at these some of these bowl games, and there's going to be some good ones. Um, the Cotton Bowl is one I'm certainly going to be watching, an offensive slugfest, which we're probably going to transpire between Oklahoma and Florida, two of the best offenses in football. College football, I should say, in the Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic from Arlington, Texas. That'll be at 8 p.m. on December 30th. And we also, of course, have the New Year's Sixes. Those bowls are going to be good. January 1st, um, Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, Cincinnati versus Georgia. That'll be the big one that I'm looking forward to seeing, as I believe both of these teams should have had great seasons. And they, it's going to be a really interesting to see how that plays out. And this will be a true test to see how Cincinnati would play in the playoff if they got that chance. So that'll be very interesting. Um, January 2nd, we got the um, Texas, we got the Texas A&M Aggies will take on North Carolina and Sam Howell's offensive crew and the Capital One Orange Bowl, the Fiesta Bowl, Oregon versus Iowa State. That's going to be an underrated game because I think a lot of people are sleeping on Oregon. And Matt Campbell's got Iowa State rolling on all cylinders. And the fact is they should have got blown out against Oklahoma, but they didn't because they have a well-coached team. But, of course, the ones we're going to be watching, the college football playoff games, Alabama against Notre Dame will be 
in the Rose Bowl, non Pasadena, but in Arlington, Texas at AT&T Stadium on January 1st at 4 p.m. on ESPN, followed by Clemson and Ohio State in the All-State Sugar Bowl on the, at 8 p.m. on January 1st from the Mercedes-Benz Superdome. Going to be excited, and those will all, of course, lead up to the finale of the college football season at Hard Rock Stadium on January 11th at 8 p.m., the national championship, which I know everybody will be tuning in to watch. But now kind of moving over into college basketball, the circuit has been very wild over the last couple of days with some news, some big some big breaking games that really kind of threw us a curveball, really kind of made some surprises as far as some teams just not not as high expectations or not as high playing levels we normally see. You know, Michigan State, for example, I know our buddy Adam was kind of um, very definitive on how he felt about uh, Michigan State versus Michigan schedule, but in the end, they ended up losing in Big Ten Conference play to Northwestern on the 20th. Unfortunate for the Spartans because they really, they just really couldn't score the basketball as they normally do. I mean, 65 points to Tom Mizzo is a really lackluster day. And I mean, Northwestern's been a tough team, especially at home against top 10 teams. Us Michigan fans know what it feels like. We almost, we almost blew a game against Northwestern at their place. And when we were ranked, thankfully, we had Jordan Poole to help us out to get a two-point win. But um, Creighton avoids upset in overtime against UConn, almost a big upset there. They moved to 6-2, and two and they still remain in the top 10 in the rankings. Texas gets a big win against Oklahoma State in a Big 12 um, Big Twelve conference matchup. And I think a lot of people watch that game, not necessarily to watch Texas or Oklahoma State, but to watch Cade Cunningham play, especially Pistons fans, because I know there's a lot of people that say that we should get Cade Cunningham to pair with Killian Hayes. But that's not the point. The, the point is that Texas is proving themselves as a good as a good team. Right now, they could squeak their way into the top 10 as they're right now just outside. Illinois is a team that a lot, a lot of analysts are talking about. They started the season red hot. They got their way into the top five in the rankings. And now the wheels are, I wouldn't say the wheels are falling off the wagon, but I would say that the wheels are starting to wiggle off the axle a little bit. And I don't think this is going to wreck their road because the reality is one of their losses came against the number two team in the country, Baylor. And Baylor is a fantastic club. They're an absolutely phenomenal team. Physical, can be able to score, defend. They do everything so well right now. There's a reason they're one of the top two teams in the country. And then you have Duke, who they beat. They beat Duke. And everything was looking good for the Fighting Illini. They were on a roll. And then they roll into Missouri, lose that game. Then they come back, beat Minnesota, who is turning out to be a pretty good sleeper team. And then they fall to Rutgers, who is also ranked 19th in the country. So I don't think people need to worry about Illinois right now. I think you need to be worried about it if they lose coming up today against Penn State. I think that'll be a, that will be kind of a a big moment for Illinois if they can pull it back because they've not been playing great basketball since the beginning of the season. And they almost lost to Ohio. So there's been some times where they have been really sluggish and haven't pulled together some good games. And they've squeaked out of some some very heavily favored matchups that they should easily wipe the floor with. But this is going to be a big test. This is going to be a very big test for this Illini crew. They've got some they've got some fantastic guys leading that crew. Io DeSumo is averaging 22.6 points per game. He's been fantastic. Kofi Cockburn 
He's been inside holding down the fort inside. He's been great. And this uh, this Illinois team can be one of those teams that can make a big run at the Big Ten Conference, which has been stacked, by the way, looking at the rankings right now. Um, no team in the Big Ten outside of Nebraska. Nebraska is 500. Every team is above 500 overall. Um, Minnesota, Michigan State, Ohio State, Maryland, Penn State, Nebraska all dropped their first opening Big Ten games as Penn State lost to the Michigan Wolverines. hey Um, Michigan actually remains second in the standings right now, only trailing Rutgers with two conference wins against Minnesota, or, um, against Minnesota. And wait a minute. What? That's oh, I'm looking. I'm sorry. My no, my notes were messed up. Rutgers is two and zero, and they're six and zero. Illinois is one and one. They're halfway in the field alongside Purdue, um, Northwestern, and Wisconsin. Iowa have been doing really well. Iowa is looking like one of the best teams in the nation. Muka Garza, um, McCaffrey, Wieskamp, those guys could shoot the basketball, and they're going to be a tough team to stop unless teams can limit their shooting. Wisconsin is kind of a little bit of a sleeper team, and we're really going to see what they're made of on Christmas Day against Michigan State because they've played some good basketball. I mean, they've always had a really, really, really solid fundamental team. They've always had a good big man. They had um, they had Ethan Happ. Now it's Reavers. They've had always had a really good big man, and they, they've been very successful in that department, and I, I anticipate that keep going especially now that Micah Potter's playing the way he is because he's doing fantastic. Um, and then they always have veterans like Demetri tries to hold down the fort and shoot the three ball really well. So Wisconsin is always going to be a team that can play good defense and get enough offense up to win the game and get it done. But Michigan State, Ohio State are all are going to be two teams you're going to want to put on your radar. Despite their first two losses in co- conference play, they're still good teams. Um, I like Michigan State better than Ohio State because – I think Michigan State just has so much more explos- explosiveness, explosibility, if that's a word. That's the word I was thinking of. But I don't think that's a word, so we're just going to kind of move on from that lack of intelligence. Um, Joey Hauser um, has kind of been a sleeper for the Spartans. He really wasn't a guy that we were putting on the radar as far going into the season, especially with all the guys around that team. that They, they got so much talent. Aaron Henry, Rocket Watts, Gabe Brown, those guys have been – They've been playing very good, and of course, we'd love to see Joshua Langford. I don't care what fan you are. If you're a Michigan fan, Ohio State fan, you hate the Spartans. You have to love the fact that Joshua Langford's on the basketball court because that man deserves it, man. He's been through a lot. He's been fantastic. He's been the glue that's held this team together, even from the sideline. But then they got some very versatile guys. I like this this kind of combo down low, Julius Marble and Marcus Bingham. Those two guys work really well down low. Their skill set really flexible finesse like but can still shove you around in the paint those two guys are really good and then you also have guys like Malik Hall Thomas Keither to put in there for certain circumstances so they have that this is a good Spartan team I they are really is a good Spartan team and it's hates for me to be a Michigan fan talking about it but I am going to be nervous when these two will face off later in the season so but Michigan really love what what they're doing right now and the thing that does scare me a little bit is we haven't played a road game. We have not played against a ranked team. So am I concerned? Yes. But are we still winning games? Yes. So not going to not gonna be overdramatic here. We do have some good wins already this season against Penn State, who is going to be a pretty good team right now. 
Um, they're gonna they're gonna be a team, not necessarily a team that might be competing at the top of the Big Ten, but they're gonna be a team that can definitely spoil someone's party. So, and they give they gave us a rough shot at Chrysler earlier this season. But our first test would be Christmas Day. We're gonna take on Nebraska at Nebraska at 6 p.m. on Big Ten Network. That's gonna be a good one. But I'm I'm really liking what the Michigan Wolverines are showing right now on the floor. Um, there is some inconsistencies, and I understand that. And as a as a fan, I am concerned because I think some of those teams can exploit us. But Hunter Dickinson has been fantastic right now. He's been absolutely phenomenal for this team. And it's stunk that we had to see Austin Davis go down. I believe he has a fascia problem with his foot. Completely, just a completely bummer of an injury. Not necessarily a severe one, but definitely one that's going to keep him out for a couple weeks to maybe a month. But the fact we have Hunter Dickinson to step in and be the way he is, especially as a freshman, fantastic. He's he is great. The seven-footer can do just about anything post-move-wise. He can be physical, and he could throw down some slams. He showed us that this season, which is going to bring some electric, especially if eventually by the end of the year we can get fans back, which would be awesome. But obviously we want to do it in the safest way possible. But Isaiah Livers has been great as well. Shawnee Brown's been a one that I've really been watching because – He's been a very interesting um, addition to this team as he's tr- he transferred over. And he's been really, really kind of a guy that we can really use. When he's hot, he, he can sh- flat out shoot the rock. We saw that in the beginning contest when I believe he dropped 19, four of them from beyond, or four three-pointers. Him and Eli Brooks and Mike Smith, those guys, if they can shoot the way they can, they're going to be in very good shape because our Michigan teams, when we shoot well, we're going to be in good shape. It's when we don't, which is where problems will persist. But Mike Smith kind of hasn't shot as well from beyond the arc. And I mean, really from, from kind of, it seems like from the system that he's kind of been through over his last couple seasons, I mean, he's, he was really the guy from playing for Columbia. So I don't think that's going to be, I don't think that's going to be a true issue that he hasn't shot very well so far because, I mean, he's kind of adjusting roles because when he was at Columbia, he was the guy. He was he was the guy that they were relying on to score every game. And the fact is, he is now in a new role. So, and he's embracing his role. He's playing really well. So, this Michigan basketball team, I'm looking forward to, especially on Christmas, getting to watch the Wolverines play against Nebraska. It's going to be a good one. As we keep in basketball, and I know everyone's excited about this as I am, the NBA season has returned. Last night, we had our opening two matchups and two good ones at that. Um, The first one, the Brooklyn Nets. Whoa, the Brooklyn Nets take down the Golden State Warriors, and take down might be an understatement. They routed them, 125-99. Big game for Kyrie, big game for KD. That's what you want to see if you're you're a Nets fan. You want to see these guys take over and just lead your team to W's in the win category. That's something that you love to see. And the fact is, Golden State is in a little bit of trouble. Am I panicking on them yet? No, I'm not panicking on them. For goodness sake, it's game number one. There's literally 71 games of basketball left. They're going to be in okay shape. But the thing that does scare me a little bit is the fact if they can't shoot the ball, what are they going to be able to do after that? Because that could be a little bit of an issue. Because Steph, Steph is Steph. 
Steph's going to have big nights where he's going to be able to literally touch the ball, throw it from 30, and you know it's going down before he turns his head around. We know that. He can be that guy. He can make 10 threes in a game. We've seen it. But there's going to be nights like last night where he goes 2 from 10 from beyond the arc, 7 of 21 from the floor, where he's not going to be that great. And I think that does have a little bit of something to do with how this team's changed because this team looks a lot differently. And that was something I saw when I watched this game last night is there was a lot of changes to how the, I wouldn't say the necessarily, I think their style of play is a little bit similar, but they're not used to relying on the inside game as much as they have, because without clay, without Draymond, you have a little bit more individual-esque play. You're going to have more Steph um, feeling like he might have to do a little bit more offensively. I mean, Kelly Oubre and Andrew Wiggins are great additions, but those guys aren't going to be necessarily as efficient, um, not necessarily efficiently like as part of fitting into the team really well because they're going to fit in well, but but Clay and Draymond are a lot less dependent on the ball compared to Oubre and Wiggins because Wiggins when he was with Minnesota he was kind of in a situation where he had to really make a lot of stuff happen and Kelly Oubre for the longest time wherever he's been he's been on he's had his hands on the ball a lot and there's a and he loves to shoot the ball regardless wherever he is I mean you look at the stat column he threw up 14 shots he's not scared to throw up a shot and he only made three of them that just shows you even more how much he Really loves to shoot the basketball. But James Wiseman, though, had a great night for Golden State. His his first game in the regular season, 19 points, six boards. Um, he actually had the best plus minus um, at minus 10. Not pretty, but he had the best plus minus overall out of all of the teams. And I think that's fair because he really, I, I think it should have been a little lower because there's a lot of times where you could tell he was frantic almost during the headlights because your first game, obviously, Chris Weber said it really well on the broadcast. Regardless of how prepared you are, you're going 100%. You're not stopping. You got turn on or turn off. There's no in between. You're not used to this tempo. You're going 100% all the time, and that's going to be something he's going to learn. So he was a little frantic out there. Sometimes he forced a little bit too much. But overall, he had a great game, especially for his first game in the regular season against a tough Brooklyn team who look really good, guys, really good. And I say this right now because they deserve to see some some praise from a lot of these analysts. And I know a lot of people are saying how well they played defensively, and they did. They really did play really well defensively. 11 steals, 7 blocks, just to name something to show you how great these guys play. They were really well defensively. I mean, their efficiency was off the chart. KD was being KD, 22 points. Um, he was great. Kyrie Irving with 26 and he also had, I believe four assists and four rebounds to, to compliment that Deandre Jordan's going to be a guy here. I'm really interested to see what they do kind of in the center department. Cause really to me, they have two centers and I know that ESPN actually thinks that, um, um, they actually think a little bit that Jared Allen's a power forward. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think he's more of a true center. But the fact is, he's played great. And defensively, that man's a monster. I mean, he had two blocks just last night alone. We know what he can do defensively on the block. He, he, he does a great job of keeping big guys out there and just making sure that pain is kept on lockdown. Because they have DeAndre Jordan, who I think the chemistry-wise, 
fits really well with KD and Kyrie. And I think that's why the reason he started last night, because Allen actually played more minutes than DeAndre Jordan, but DeAndre Jordan got the start. Um, DeAndre Jordan only had four points, but he had 11 boards. There, DeAndre Jordan and the entire Nets organization knows he does not have to score 20 points a night to give the Nets a chance to win. He can score literally. He can literally score four points, and the Nets will still win by 26. That just shows you how offensively gifted this team is. Because then you add in Karis LeVert, who has any an absolutely perfect role for this team. Because last year with Kyrie, it was kind of a hard situation because. Going back to the Michigan days, Karis LeVert loves having the basketball in his hands. And there's some great things he can do with the basketball in his hands. The fact is, is you come off the bench with some of these guys like Jeff Green, Torian Prince, Jared Allen, like I mentioned earlier. You come off the bench with these guys and Landry Shamit too. They're going to give you those opportunities because those guys really aren't as ball dependent either. So Karis LeVert's perfectly in his element. There's a reason he scored 20 points. He also had nine boards to add to that, just to flex a little bit. But, I mean, that 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 team looks really good. They're deep. They're looking like the Clippers on paper last year. They're going to be in a great chance to make a run in the Eastern Conference for sure, just going off of what we saw last night. Joe Harris, Spencer Dinwiddie with 10 and 9 points also respectively. They're going to be in good shape. They got some guys that can score, play defense, and run the floor. They could turn it into a track meet, almost like what Golden State did to everybody else three years ago. So it's kind of interesting to see now how that's kind of faded over. But the other game that happened, the LA Lakers ended up getting their um, rings last night before their game. Pretty special moment to see their family celebrating with them on the t- or on the TV screen, the jumbotron. Pretty pretty cool moment to see some of those guys get what might possibly be their only ring in the NBA. It's really an interesting, it's a really special moment to see when you finally work so hard for something. You've always wanted to hold the Larry O'Brien trophy and you finally have the opportunity to do that. It's a really special feeling. And they got their rings. They really felt, or they really got to feel how real that was. And it was really cool to see. But in the end, the other LA team spoils the fun. The Clippers end up winning this game 116 to 109 thanks to a heavily, Heavily dominated first quarter, 39 to 30 or 19 at the end of the first quarter. Now, I will say that the Lakers brought it back really quick in the second quarter, answering that to basically make it, I believe it was a two point lead at halftime. But still, the Clippers played really well. And you kind of look at the stat sheet, it looks a little interesting because when you look at this, it looks as close as it was. And that's not necessarily the interesting part, but what is interesting to me, especially watching this game, because I watched, I'll, I'll, I'll be, I'll be honest, and I know this is kind of a little biased, but the Lakers did look that great in the first quarter, and I know they only scored 19 points. I get it, and the Clippers had their end, and they made four back in the second half. But I watched part of it. I, I see what the changes they made, and it was there were good changes. But I mean, Paul George sat in the off season. He said, "I'm gonna be better." I want to get to where I was when I was when I was basically playoff P, the good version, back in OKC a couple of years prior, or Indiana, Indiana Pacer. Paul George is really what I think we'd all want to see. But he had 33 points. He was 13 of 18. That's the Paul George you paid $200 million for. And a lot of people are saying, You're, they're locking up Paul George, but not Kawhi Leonard? What are you doing? But 
Paul George proved everybody wrong last night and showed, hey, I'm the I'm not I'm I'm still one of the superstars in this league, and I'll show you how. Kawhi Leonard was great. He had 26 points. Um, not as efficient, but he did what he usually does. He was great defensively. He had two steals. He had those points to come along with it. He was good. He was good. Definitely not the the Toronto Kawhi that we're used to seeing, but he's still Kawhi Leonard is one of the best defensive players in the NBA. And the fact you have him on your team is something everybody should be happy about. But this new look of a team with Nick Batum, Serge Ibaka, and then Patrick Beverly also got the start. Um, but Lou Williams did play a lot of minutes, of course. He had 11 points. Luke Kennard, um, yeah, he didn't look too good. Not going to lie. Um, Pistons might have made a good move not paying him $64 million. But uh, it's one game. It's one game. We also wish him nothing but the best because he's a good player and he deserves to have, be on a good team and have a good role. But this Clippers team looks a lot different with Serge Ibaka and Nick Batum. The one thing I had a concern about going into this game is with LeBron and Anthony Davis and Montrez Harrell, they don't really have – the Clippers only have Zubac to really be that true five big man to hold down the fort in the paint. But Nick Batum and Serge Ibaka – really kind of proved me wrong because they are guys just as good defensively as some of these other guys in the NBA that they could have went out and got. And they could they got a lot out of those guys, especially for um, partially how low contracts they got. So um, Nick Batum really doesn't need – and he hit, the he hit I believe, the opening three of this ball game. That actually was his only points on the night, which is kind of crazy. But um, Serge Baca had 15 points as well. He did, he did very good. Um, both of them had six boards. I mean, there, there was really no differences in the stat sheet either way for each team. Just kind of the way both the teams played were kind of different. The The Clippers obviously were a little bit more aggressive earlier on and kind of got more comfortable with more outside shooting later on, especially the way Paul George was shooting the basketball last night. And the Lakers shot a lot in the first quarter, and they weren't hitting a lot. And the, as the game moved on, they obviously got a little bit better. Uh, LeBron had 22. Dennis Schroeder had a good opening night. Actually, he's recorded a double-double. Hey, if you got a fantasy basketball league with some bonus points, I want to pick up Dennis Schroeder at this point. 14 points, 12 rebounds. And then Anthony Davis with 18 points, 7 boards. So, to me, I mean, Montrezl Harrell did very well. Kyle Kuzma was pretty good. But to me, the one thing the Lakers really didn't have that they, I think they miss with some of the guys that they had before is they don't have necessarily a true scorer in the inside. And now I know you're going to say Montrezl Harrell's not going to be that guy. And I agree. He is going to be that guy. Marcus is supposed to be that guy. But when you don't have such a physical presence early on in the game, that makes things a lot harder for your offense, especially when you got guys that can shoot really well on the catch and off ball. Those are the guys like Cantavius Caldwell-Pope. Those are the guys like Quinn Cook. Those are the guys, even like Wesley Matthews. Alex Caruso can fill it too. Don't forget about him either. But I think this team is going to be in okay shape if they can get a the, the true threat inside early with Anthony Davis and Marcus Saul and Montrez Harrell. I think that sets them up a lot more. I think they came out a little bit, I wouldn't say flat, because they came out energetic. But they were they were really really trigger happy in the first quarter, and I think they got to stick to, I wouldn't say stick to their game plan because obviously I didn't know really what their game plan was because I know Frank Vogel's a really a really kind of a 
a, a go by the flow kind of guy. And I, I can respect that, especially when you don't want teams to stick to a script at some points. But I mean, this team, if they can get a threat on the inside that can score immediately in games, I think that just makes it so much better for him because when you fire up things so early, it makes your, it makes the defense's job a lot easier. And then when they started converting on the inside and outside later, and then their shots started falling, the Lakers become the team that we understand how they can make it all the way to the NBA Finals and win the chip. So it's going to be a good it's, – it's still going to be a good season for both these teams. And obviously this is the first game of basketball in the NBA season here in 2020. We understand that things are going to be a little rusty. We get it. So not too worried for either of those teams. But there's going to be some good games tonight. Pistons fans, the Pistons are playing tonight for the first time in the regular season in what seems like it's been a decade. Yes, it's not been a decade, but it feels pretty close. But they're going to play Minnesota and Anthony Edwards tonight at 8 p.m. Um, some other notable matchups you may want to watch. Washington, the Beal and Brody show will start tonight in Washington against the Philadelphia 76ers with Ben Simmons. And possibly, no, nah, I'm just kidding. We're not going to speculate yet. Um, Oklahoma City will take on Houston tonight at 8 p.m. Now we can speculate. Will James Harden be playing in this game? The answer is likely no. And the fact also is, according to, I believe Woj reported this, or it was Shams, that De- DeMarcus Cousins and John Wall might not play in this game tonight. And the fact is, it seems like, James Harden made a very bad decision. He went out. It's look. Oh, this is what it looks like. I'm not saying this is exactly what happened, but from what's been reported, what looks like it's been captured, that he was either he looked like he was out in a club or a bar without having a mask on, and possibly got exposed to the virus. Anyway, the NBA is now looking into that incident and might have further um, further investigations and allegations made. So the fact is, it's going to be a long shot for James Harden to play tonight. But what John Wall and also DeMarcus Cousins now apparently might not be being, being able to play because of the contract on the contact tracing in case that Harden ended up did testing positive, they're going to have to test probably the whole team because of practices and things of that nature. But the reality to me, James Harden wants out of Houston so fast the fact to me that he would go to the club right now when you have guys looking up to you for this season with a new coach a new surrounding story one of the best underrated players I think in this game that we'll see later in this year with Christian Wood if he would have stayed in Detroit man that would have been something but but I mean the fact DeMarcus Cousins and Christian Wood that could be a really good situation for James Harden. But that's the fact is, it doesn't sound like James Harden wants it. And it's kind of hard to believe because he's been the face of that franchise. He's been even the decision maker, it seems like, in a lot of these seasons, according to what the front office has said. But the front office might be just making a pitch to tell why James is kind of a, kind of a, a just a, I don't know if they're trying to keep him, they're trying to trade him. But James does not seem happy. And to me, the fact that he's wanting these trade allegations, he's not shown up to camp. All these rumors are coming out. This is, this is literally a tug of war between the Rockets and James Harden. James Harden wants out. 
Houston wants Harden to stay. The Huns, so the Houston Rockets have came out with some of this stuff regarding he's been the face of the franchise. He's been so seem making him seem like he's so needy that he may, wants to make all the decisions. That's helping the teams realize that Harden's not quite the guy that you want. But Harden is so like he wants out of there so bad. He's willing to like I don't I don't want to say he's willing to tarnish this relationship and tarnish his appearance. But I mean, going to the club without a mask, just the whole circumstances, the things, the things line up perfectly for the media to make these sort of allegations. So it's unfortunate that's what has to come down to with James Harden, that he's going to try to force his way out that way, because it's just unfortunate to see. And I know Rocket fans would rather have a peaceful, a peaceful move on than this kind of disruption and just creating a bad scenario for Rockets fans and setting them back for two to three years. So, however, they will still play tonight against Oklahoma City, and that's a young Oklahoma City team, so there is expectation they can win that game. Milwaukee will take on Boston at 7.30 tonight. That's going to be a pretty good game by what I can see. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker, I will not play in this game, but still later on, that team can be something special. And I know I talked a lot about Philadelphia and how I like them a little bit better right now. That doesn't mean I don't like Boston. I think Boston's a really good team. Um, Milwaukee also has Giannis out to Takumbo, and now Drew Holiday. That's going to be a good team. Um, some other notable games, Utah will take on Portland. Um, the Jazz really looking to avenge last year's um, playoff loss in the bubble to the Nuggets because they felt they were the better team. And the Portland Trailblazers, they're just looking to, they're just looking to get past they're looking to get far. And to me, like, Dame has been so good. CJ's been so good. Outside of that, they've been a little bit, what do you need to do to really fix that team? Because I think Carmelo was a great addition. Great addition. I think that was fantastic. I think that was a great idea. He fits perfectly off ball with those guys and can shoot the lights out. And them. Portland loves shooters. Um but inside, they've had a little bit of problems. Zach Collins is going to be out for a little while. Looks like sounds like he has a stress fracture in his foot or his lower leg area. So he's not going to be available for this game. So it's going to be all up to Joseph Nurkic. But this Portland team can be very good. And you can really rely on Dame five nights a week, and you can get three Ws. We've seen it plenty of times. So Portland's going to be in a good – I think they're going to be in a good scenario, regardless how this team ends up. But the game I think everybody's looking forward to the night game at 1030. If you're if you want to stay up this late, I can understand if you don't, but if you do, you're going to be in for a treat. The Dallas Mavericks, Luka Doncic will take on the Phoenix Suns and Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Should be a fantastic game. I'm surely going to probably DVR that one. Going to be a really sweet matchup to see some some new faces in some new places and some new teams looking for some new results. It's going to be fun. But that's going to be the show today. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Um, if you want to check out the rest of our shows, find them on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Google Podcasts, CastBox, Radio Public. We got a lot of platforms you can choose from. So prefer your favorite one. Go find us, like us, follow us, subscribe to us, whatever you want to do to stay in the loop. If you want everything to stay in the loop, go find us on Twitter at the MBSP. Follow us, like us, retweet us. We want to see... All the fans, we want to know what you guys think about the show, what you guys want to see on the show. If you want to even be on the show, don't hesitate. Message us. Let's get you on the show. Me and Joe will be happy to have you in our debates of the day because those sure are fun. 
But thank you guys for listening. Enjoy the holidays, and we may see you later this year, as well as Mike's and Takes for our NFL picks. Hopefully that will be this week. We'll let you guys know on Twitter if that will be happening, as obviously it's holiday season, so everything's getting exciting with family and gatherings and all that sort of thing. But until next time, we will see you later.